Hello and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Drive My Car, Turning Red, and The Atom Project. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Howdy. What's going on, Bill? Not much, AJ. How are you? Hey, what's new? I'll tell you something. I really like that new intro. I appreciate that. I think you nailed it. Really, really polished. You, you absolutely crushed it. Hey, thanks so much. You're, you're very welcome. Um, got a lot to go over today. Yeah, big day. Um, I'm working my way through um, Best Picture uh, films. Oh, yeah? What'd you see this yep. week? I saw Nightmare Alley. Guillermo del Toro. My One least of your favorites. favorite GT movie of all time. What? I didn't, dude, I didn't like it. It took me, oh, granted, I had the stomach flu and was like in between bathroom trips and just like crying. So it took me a little bit to get through it, but really? I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't dig it. What was it that turned you off? Story and pace. And uh, Bradley a, okay. Cooper's like, yeah. Bradley Cooper's like, I don't really talk much of the first act thing. Got kind of weird and old after a while. Well, he's the strong silent type. Yeah, but is he? <laughs> Supporting cast was good. Sure. Davis Trithairn, one of my favorite yeah, I mean, character actors. The 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 set design, like the aesthetics of like Roaring Twenties, yeah. Golden Age yep. kind of polish was great. Yep. But man, was it tough to get through? And um, I I mean. I'll agree the second act drags for sure. But the ending brought it all home for me. I loved, loved, loved the finale. So I thought maybe that would sell you on it, especially as a Gearmo fan. Yeah, I mean, fan, it was good, but, but it was like the typic, typical literary kind of arc that like yeah. your beginning is your end and your end is your beginning. It doesn't really matter because time's kind of like a flat circle. Sure. You know? mm-hmm. Sure. But that that was my week. Okay. Um, okay. Anything you need to get caught up on or happened? Yeah, I tell you, I went to see The Batman a second time. So that second viewing. And let me tell you about my second experience seeing The Batman. You fucking hate it. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I didn't I didn't like it as much. I'll tell you that. Oh, I will well. say the the things that worked about it, in particular, like the clarity and the staging of all the action scenes in general still work they still work wonders and now they're even better because you can follow them even more when you kind of know what to expect yeah but when you're not hung up in the oh my god what's going to happen next the pacing and the length becomes brutal <laughs> and it's not and it was not as immersive as the time we saw it in imax so i'm just in like a regular ass theater and it is just just chugging along and i know where mm. it's going and it just takes so long to get there when you're not hung up seeing it for the first time so definitely um didn't hold up as well and i found specifically where you could trim 30 minutes easy uh so that it was it just it's it uh it didn't hold up quite as well still good still give it a yes no doubt about that but it's just not the same as that first experience I remember when we debriefed in the parking garage after the film and we're geeking out and i and i told you and we kind of agreed and then you went back on your agreement. I was like, <laughs> I think this is going to be equivalent of like the Joker for me is I'm going to see it once. It's going to it's going to have its place in my mind and my heart. And then like I'm I'm over it and I'm moving on. Um, I feel like now that you saw it again. This yeah, that is was the, the right this, call. That was the right call. That was right. And I was I was thinking that, too. But then, you know, I kept thinking about it. I kept talking about it. And I was like, I'll give it another shot. 
see what happens the second time. And yeah, not uh, doesn't hold up quite as well. Speaking of the Batman, um, I rewatch for the mm, oh, I don't know hundred and seventy third time, <laughs> The Dark Knight. Uh, just yes. because I wanted to make sure that like in my brain, does it still hold up and is it still the gold standard? And let me tell you what, that movie fucks so hard, <laughs> can't get over it. Oh, yeah, and it, I holds had a, a, it holds up. There's a point in my heart, in my brain where I was like, is this movie overrated? Like, am I mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. like blinded? Right. Are you too by close everything to it? Yeah. that like, am I too close to it? Oh, man, did I let that simmer and poke that? poked that fire a little bit and that flame just stoked right up and i was like god damn it did i miss this you yeah you try to watch that movie with like fresh eyes and try to imagine it for the first time and it's if anything we take it for granted if anything it's underrated yeah it 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 is (laughs) every single part of that movie is just a masterpiece um and let's let the batman kind of simmer for a while and and maybe in the next month two months we'll have more uh, some news about the future of the Batman. Yeah. Well, at this pace, by next week, Bill's going to be giving it a no. We, <laughs> we stay on this trajectory. <laughs> Just slowly fade from consciousness. So in the news. So speaking of the Batman, I thought we were going to be over it, but apparently not. I'm checking my producer notes right here. <laughs> the CEO of AMC Entertainment um, said tickets for the Batman currently cost more than other movies as the chain experiments with variable pricing. Uh, variable pricing is not something new there's been other industries that have used it for quite a bit uh bill are you okay with variable ticket pricing no for movies no aj i fucking hate it i'm using the word hate here to describe variable pricing at movies okay because it means let me tell you why because it means that some empty suit uh, at the at AMC or whatever exhibitor who probably only has that job because there's somebody's nephew gets to make <laughs> a value judgment about film and decide that the Batman is worth more than Nightmare Alley or whatever it is. Like it, it is subjective and unfair and creates a value judgment for these different movies at different rates. And to me, it call me a purist, but it detracts from the magic of cinema. The whole beauty of it is you pay your $10 or whatever, and sometimes you have a transcendent experience, and sometimes it's dog shit, but you don't know. You got to just go in and find out with everybody else. And I just, it just, it irks me so much that they would do that. I mean, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to hard press you and disagree on that. This is basically economics 101, supply and demand, right? Like if there's a overwhelming, right, general pop. Um, uh, desire to see something or want something, you're gonna you're gonna fucking upcharge no. it, right? But I, no. yeah, it's the same thing as a lobster tail, right? As an add-on, or is it the same thing as like this is not a know, lobster tail. This is art. Well, I mean, I've had some <laughs> lobster tails that have, you know, blasted my brain like a Van Gogh ex- exhibit. So uh, let's I let's just, leave the lobster the crustaceans out I of don't, this. But I I don't like the variable pricing for the. Th- by film. Now, the other thing that they're experimenting with is variable pricing by seat, which is a little closer to what we experience at concerts and theaters. The better seats, you got to pay more money. That one I also hate, but hate less. Why, Bill? You are the most 
elitist person I've ever met yes. in my entire life. And you and you look for ways to spend more money just to get a leg up on everyone else. Let me finish. The reason I don't hate it as much is because there's a chance that people leave the more expensive seats and they'll be available for me to get because I'll pay any amount. So, so I don't hate it as much, but I still hate it. I, I like the way cinema has worked. It's a flat rate, no matter what seat, no matter what the movie is. And you make your decisions. Yeah. But like, here's the thing, though. I- I'm I'm sorry. Uh, this might like hurt your feelings, but like, you are the not, you are the least affected person by this, and I'll tell you why. It's because you work retail, and you normally have a week day shift off and a weekend shift off. So you can go to a matinee on a Thursday and spend less money than 99 percent of the people who are going to the film. So this shouldn't affect you at all. It's 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 the it's the philosophy. Don't say of it's it. a principal thing because you don't care it. about it. It's the principle of it. Also, speaking of upcharges, fucking stupid conversation. If they do variable pricing for the seat, yeah, and the movie being a big movie, sure, and they always upcharge if it's IMAX, yeah, and they always upcharge if it's 3D. Where's the line? What what happens when you go see fucking Avatar two and you're paying eighty seven dollars to sit in the center of whatever? Same thing as like a paper a pay per view UFC fight. It's the same thing when a new video game console comes out is that everyone's trying to make a fucking buck it's capitalism right like either wait wait for it to be on video on demand or just suck up and and pay the extra 12 fucking dollars no i'm aj you we already established i'm gonna pay it that's not the point okay the point is i don't like the value judgment of one movie is worth more than another movie next topic okay aj also in the news disney's much hyped star wars galactic star cruiser hotel which only has 100 rooms, and they start at $5,000 for two adults for two nights. Jesus. is not even close to selling out. Are you surprised? Does it actually go to space? <laughs> Am I surprised? <laughs> no, because half the people who want to go there, the, 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 their mother's basement is a 10 times better Star Wars exhibit than this <laughs> fucking galactic <laughs> cruiser hotel. <laughs> Why would I spend the money when I can just take, you know, <laughs> grab a Mountain Dew and walk eight eight steps downwards and be in a in a fucking Tatooine <laughs> cantina? Have you seen the pictures? Yeah, for this? so the, the review it's a it's a prison. It's a fucking it's a Walt Disney gulag. The reviews call it. I'll call the rooms windowless bunkers. <laughs> yeah, because. There's no actual windows. They use screens that show space. So when you look out, you're looking at space. I'm I'm so glad this is my story because I did a little deep diving when I saw it come up on AV Club or Entertainment Weekly or whatever. There's no restaurants, no spas, no pools, no nothing. Like there's mm-hmm. no amenity in this actual facility that costs the same as like a 1998 Honda Accord for like <laughs> a weekend. <laughs> Who in their right mind is paying this kind of fucking money? People that are into the role playing, I guess, because from what I hear also, the actors that work it are quite good and they are engaging and they give people and missions and shit. And like you, I don't know, you run around as part of the resistance. What? And to like, you know, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope or whatever. You got to hand off messages <laughs> or whatever. I don't know how it works, but that's what I heard. I heard the actors are good. I'm not surprised. This is this is just I I, I I there's probably a million things I could say, but I'm not going to say it because like I, I don't fall into the demographic. Yeah, I like Star Wars movies, but like there's no way I'm spending five thousand dollars for two nights 
to do yeah. this. It's, it's just hilarious to me because I remember when it was being built, it was getting such hype of like, you get to go into Star Wars and be part of Star Wars experience. And then nobody actually books it. It's hilarious to me. Next story. Uh, all right, Bill. Uh, last story, a sequel to Beetlejuice and a prequel to Training Day are officially in the works. God. These come on the heels of Matrix Resurrections, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Top Gun Maverick, all the video game shows we talked about last episode. Bill, what the hell is going on with all of these legacy sequels and the lack of originality coming out of Hollywood? It's tough. It's real tough. And I am getting real sick of the legacy sequel trend. Like, it is He's sick. brutal. And I think there's a couple factors. I think, I think our generation... You know, grew up in front of TV and film in an amazing period in film history. And now our generation are the ones starting to make the stuff in Hollywood. And I feel like you write what you know. And they want to appeal to our generation because we're the ones with disposable income. And now we have kids that we can bring to the theaters. And I think times are tough and nostalgia sells because it transports you back to a simpler time. And ours is not a simple time. Uh, and it's just, it's it, the entire industry is built around giant tentpole movies that need to make money or else the industry will go under. And the only way to guarantee money is to use something that they already know works. And it just has become this brutal cycle. It's why we ended up with another Independence Day, another Terminator. We had uh, Jurassic World 3 coming soon. Like, I understand mm. the whys. I just, I absolutely hate it. They're so rare that they actually work. I mean, Ghost, Ghostbusters Afterlife, right? We, we agreed that it was pretty good kind of reboot yeah revisit yeah. But like training day like yeah what are you gonna show me yeah exactly that i can't already like f figure out from watching the original film like i i can yeah. paint a picture on how the corruption came to be and i know it's gonna end up happening you're gonna have either michael b jordan or anthony mackie play young alonzo uh, alonzo like yeah, we've, we it's said everything just, we need to say, really, with the first yeah. training day. Uh, if yeah. you're not going to completely reimagine something like Creed or Mad Max Fury Road, like those are the only two examples I can think of where like it worked. That's basically the list for me. So, yeah, it's uh, I think those are the reasons, but uh, it is definitely starting to uh, starting to weigh on me. The lack of originality. All right, we want to jump into some reviews. Well, should I go see it? Yeah, so like you said in the intro, there's three films we'll be discussing today. Uh, Drive My Car, Turning Red, and The Atom Project. Yep. So according to imdb.com, Drive My Car is about a renowned stage actor and director learns to cope with his wife's unexpected passing when he receives an offer to direct a production of Uncle Vanya in Hiroshima. Bill, should I go see it? Uh, no, I gave it a no. Uh, which I know is a little strong because it is nominated both for Best International Film as well as Best Picture. Sure is. But thinking about the way I write my site and the way that I expect people to read it as would I recommend this to the average person that came out to me and said, should I go see it? I would have to say no. It is a three-hour meditation on grief, essentially. So not exactly the feel good movie of the year. It's uh, oh yeah, it's a little heavy. The world needs now. Exactly, grief, uh, sweet grief. <laughs> <laughs> it is very well done. There is no no doubt about it. The performances are especially good. 
And the first two hours, <laughs> it's uh, very subtle and underplayed and like really smartly written. The last hour after that, because it does total three hours, uh, the last hour falls apart a little bit in the sense that all of a sudden characters just start monologuing and it's way less subtle and they're just letting all their feelings out and the, the cleverness of the writing kind of goes away. Okay. Um, but the, the major issue and the real hang up is how slow it is. Like it is glacially slow paced. And when I say slow paced, I mean the opening credits appear 41 minutes in. Whoa. They go 40 minutes where I think, well, we're in the movie. And then all of a sudden the opening credits are, Oh, that was, that was the prologue. Okay. Now we're actually in it. So, Wow, that's wild. It's a capital F film. And if you are a film student, there's themes, there's text, there's subtext, the play that oh, they're yeah. doing. All of it. They use Read a report. Yeah, you could write a dissertation on it. The play they're doing, they they narrate a lot of the they, they show long scenes of them practicing this play. So like there's the subtext of what's in the play speaking to the characters in our story. A lot there, a lot of meat there. But again, to the average person to sit down, throw on HBO Max and watch a movie in Japanese for three hours about grief like i just i don't i don't see it happening (laughs) here's the other question i had is in like watching trailers and stuff like that so the premise is is that there is a chauffeur that is uh hired to take our lead character to basically a a festival right yeah he is directing a play and the the festival coordinator is putting on the play hire him a driver to bring him to and from his like villa to the practice or the to the theater but the chauffeur is not driving like a regular car. It's that sh- they're chauffeuring him in his personal car. Him in his personal. Yes. Car. That's the dumbest thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. Imagine a car server shows up and be like, "Hey, your key over there." <laughs> a car server shows up and drops off the driver and then leaves. <laughs> yeah. When is that ever gonna I happen? Mean, that's, that really is basically what happens. <laughs> well, I mean, it's what? yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, anything that we should watch instead? I mean, like this is going to get a lot of a lot of play and a lot of press over the next few weeks. But yeah. Is there anything we should be watching instead, especially in this pool of uh, Best Picture nominees? Uh, I wouldn't pick something from the pool. I would say if you were going to look for a movie like this, that's maybe slightly more accessible. Uh, I would say Ghost Story. Uh, that was from a few years okay. ago. Um, that was really, really good. And it's less than two hours. Uh, but it's also the, I mean, it would be the American take on grief. It's American film uh, that mm-hmm. also handles the loss of a spouse. But I feel like it does a lot. It does more interesting things t- for me than this one did. So a ghost story would be my recommendation for that. Can you think of a best picture nominee recently that you've given a no to? Like, is this a common occurrence for you year in, year it, out? More. It has occurred more times this year than the last few, for sure. When they upped the nominee pool from five to five to ten depending mm-hmm. uh, there were usually like one or two no's kind of in the mix a lot of the times when it was five nominees there were years where i said yes to all of them yeah then it became a bigger pool i mean you would think that that would be the case right best picture right one or two no's would be in there uh this year i think like three or four are no's so like this year in particular was not the best wow. slate for tough. me tough let's move on to the new disney pixar movie turning red um, according to imdb.com, a 13-year-old named Mei Lin turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too excited. That was a weird synopsis. Bill, should I go see it? Uh, yes, I gave this one a yes. Uh, I know you watched it as well, and it sounds like you enjoyed it as well. Sure did. 
Uh, I thought it was really clever. I think that was like the main thing is the script is just very, very smart uh, in how they use deployed sort of the metaphor. You know, it's very obvious that the film is about a girl going through puberty uh, and they just do a really clever job finding different ways to sort of use that metaphor of turning into a panda instead in the way that they kind of go back and forth. It's it's uh, I thought it was funny. I thought there was a lot of lead up at the beginning and then the end kind of becomes like a laser light show like most movies, uh, animated movies. But the act two was definitely the highlight for me where they kind of dig into the story more. There's a lot of good sight gags. Uh, I found it funny. Um, not the funniest thing Pixar's put out, but funny. Uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I think it was, um, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines, mm-hmm. where it wasn't like fully mixed media, but like it wasn't your standard Pixar style. And it kind of had this like Apple Memoji quality about it, like the, the, yeah. the animation style. And then there are instances like throughout where they added like a manga anime style to it. Like when someone they're like crying or happy or eating that I thought was like really smart. Um, this, this movie is, it's not top tier Pixar, but it was super enjoyable. I know it's getting a lot of flack right now. There was a, a review in the New York times that basically said like, this is the most, uh, you know, in a, in a coming of age story, this is probably one of the most, I forget the word they used, Bill, but like... Um, I know some people were digging it for being like hard to relate to. It's, like yeah, a, very, it's relatable. a very specific story. It was, yeah. This this person in the New York Times said that this movie was very unrelatable because not only of the... There's a heavy Chinese cultural influence in it, as well as like a girl coming of age. Like there's not many puberty stories of like a young female. And this dude got fucking roasted and he should get fucking yeah. roasted. Because like if you're getting if you if you can't see the merit in like growing up, going through these issues with your family and your friends and like becoming this new person, like I'm a straight white dude in my 30s. And I there was a lot of instances, especially the year that this movie takes place, 2020, 2002, where like I was the same age as that. And like there was a lot of things that I really appreciated. Yeah, I, I agree. I think. To your point, the setting of being in 2002, I thought was really interesting and like unexpected. And I thought it was great. Uh, it it prevented them from having a like viral moment, which is what I was terrified of. It's like, she becomes a panda and then it goes viral or something stupid. So they made it sure that they was pre that. Uh, yeah, like they all use like Nokia phones or sidekicks to like CD players and stuff. Yeah, CD players. Like I thought it was really cool. Boy, boy, boy like the idea of a boy right. band or your first crush. major plot points of boy band, which again makes sense for that time. Which yeah, is smart. Like if you if you're a fucking asshole writer and you ding this because you can't like get on board with it, like go take a long walk off a short fucking. Bridge. How do you not like Roger Ebert once said that film movies in general are empathy machines like that is what they do is you watch the movie and you empathize with what's happening on screen and if it's done well like it is here it shouldn't matter who you are you should be able to relate to what's happening on screen like most of the shit we watch nowadays like i can't really i can't relate to fucking i don't know dune or whatever it doesn't matter well you yeah just, it, or the like movie. West Side Story, you think someone's gonna watch it and be like man i really wish that gang was fucking <laughs> italian <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you would never say that. Yeah, yeah. Although that's why I was very excited when the people that took Liam Neeson's wife were Albanian. I was 
very excited to see myself represented on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um funny thing, did do you did you stay around for the end credits of this? Oh, uh no, I don't think so. Um uh, was there a po- was there a post credit thing? Yeah, there's like a very small post uh credit scene. I missed it. That was pretty funny. Um so I'm about to load that up. If you, if you're gonna, if you're going to watch it, um stick around for the end credits, but overall, we're looking at second tier Pixar. Really smart, really funny, really engaging. It's like barely over an hour and a half. Yeah. So um, easily doable for a family movie night. Agreed. Definitely recommend. All right, Bill. So last movie we're going to talk about today is The Adam Project, the new Ryan Reynolds uh, film on Netflix. According to IMDb.com, after accidentally crash landing in 2022, time-traveling fighter pilot Adam Reed teams up with his 12-year-old self for a mission to save the future. Bill... Should I go see it? No, you really don't need to. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you've seen a Ryan Reynolds movie in the last few years, you kind of know the drill. How do, can we? Can we before we before you really just hammer this? <laughs> how how is this guy still getting work? He's been doing the same thing for twenty years. Like he should have stopped at just friends, and I would have been completely. Will okay Ferrell's been with doing it. the same thing for twenty years, and he's still making. He's still no. Making that's movies. a fucking lie. No, that's your the Ryan Reynolds and Will, they both have a shtick, and they both have just hammered into the ground. I can give you three movies off the top of my head right now that are not Will Ferrell shtick movies that are that are phenomenal. I, I, I don't disagree that Will Ferrell also has some non-shtick movies, sure, and Reynolds, I hope, will get there. But in general, I will say it's similar. But this kind of okay. goes into the... But this is what's interesting, actually, about that, is this movie, his shtick, works really well for it. But the problem is, it's like a cry-wolf situation, because we've seen the shtick so much, it's no good. But now, when it's actually applied here, when it could be used well, it doesn't have as much impact. And the reason I say his shtick works well for this project in particular is there's a young version of him in the movie. And so you have this 12-year-old child actor who is now mimicking Ryan Reynolds' shtick because they're the same person. Yeah. And then they play off each other doing that same shtick. And it, it has some funny moments. There's no doubt it has some funny moments. So this would be good use of his talent. It's just that we are have seen that so many times that it, it loses a little bit of its luster. Um. Other than that, the plot is borderline nonsensical. Uh, they're chasing a MacGuffin. I will give you one guess as to what form this MacGuffin takes. Some sort of, uh, some sort of like energy source. No, thing? no, more, more real than that. More grounded. Oh, like a diary or like a voicemail from his <laughs> no. like parents. Uh, it's a hard drive. Ah! Is that what you're gonna say? Did I get to reach to it? No, I was gonna guess something else, but I, the hard drive definitely occurred to me. Yeah, classic hard drive MacGuffin they got to chase. Uh, the effects are, I mean, it's an effects-based movie. The effects are cool sometimes and super green screeny and phony at other times. Uh, the needle drops are absolutely brutal. There's one uh, Zeppelin, I think it was Good Times, Bad Times, that is just distracting as all hell. Uh, like These movies that keep doing this, like you are not Guardians of the Galaxy. And Guardians of the Galaxy has a narrative reason for him to listen to music of that era. So it actually makes sense. All these other movies are just doing the same thing just to copy the, the, the aesthetic. And it doesn't work. And just like Guardians, this movie also has Zoe Saldana in it because she's in every sci-fi film. And uh, director uh, Sean Levy, who did Free Guy as well, who's also now doing Deadpool 3, it seems to be Ryan Reynolds' 
best friend at this point. Yeah, they're buddy, they're buddy buddy for sure. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a forgettable film. But there is one scene that I want to comment on that was absolutely remarkable. So the movie's like the movie's no good, but there is one scene: the writing, the acting, the emotion. Like I legitimately think it's the best performance of Ryan Reynolds I've ever seen. Whoa! Uh, I was in tears. Whoa! From one scene. And it takes place like 15 minutes in the movie. So if you want to watch the movie, just like watch the first 20 minutes and then cut it off. Because he he is from 2050. He comes back to 2022. And you see the kid growing up. You see him as a youngster. And he is a teenager or a teen or tween or whatever. So he's you know kind of bratty. And he's Ryan Reynolds. So he's by default bratty. Uh, and he's kind of mean to his mom and whatever. And Jennifer Garner plays his mother. And then there's a scene where Ryan Reynolds goes to a bar and his mother walks in and like gets a drink after work or whatever. And he gets to like interact with his mother Huh. now as an older person coming back and traveling back in time and gets to interact and say things codedly because he can't say I'm your son from the future. So it's just kind of coded. That's where the writing is just so subtle and clever where they're like, they're both kind of holding back the, the emotion just a bit and he gets to talk to her. And obviously there's obvious for you, but for our audience, there's a, there's a personal element to that. For me, I lost my mother a couple years ago. So like the idea of putting myself in that scene to go back yeah. in time and then be able to talk to your mother again wow. was like, so it, it blew me away. I was in tears. It was so good. And even taking the personal element out of it, it's, it's incredibly well-written and well-acted and completely out of place for the rest of this schlocky, terrible B sci-fi movie. But if you're going to watch it, watch the first 15 minutes because that scene is so, so good. Him and Garner are fantastic. So highly, highly recommend that one scene. But one scene does not a movie make. So I still had to give it a no. Makes sense. Uh, anything else that's in that realm or thematically... Close. I would. I mean, because it involves because it involves time travel and stuff like that. Uh, the go tos I always recommend for this type of thing because they're a little lesser known. Uh, Deja Vu with Denzel Washington, directed by Tony Scott. Love that movie, and that's kind of has that action and time travel type sci fi. Or if you're looking for more of the sci fi side of it, um, Coherence. If you haven't seen Coherence, it was a smaller movie uh, that I absolutely love. 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 Um, moving on to our last segment, uh, Netflix and Bill, what are we watching? Did you finish anything this week? What's on deck? What have you been watching? What do you got? I got three. I'll go quick though. Uh, Pam and Tommy, I finished. There were only eight episodes. Um, so we we've talked about it previously. I finished that show. And if I had to give that a, should I go see it? I'm going to give it a no, to be honest. Um, oh, wow. It just, it doesn't really say anything particularly resonant the entertainment value does not outweigh the weirdness of watching it uh, as we talked about previously uh pamela anderson has a netflix documentary coming out to set the record straight which will probably be more interesting than this dramatization is that one of those things i feel like this happens a lot nowadays is that one of those situations where it's like a six eight ten twelve episode season of a show that should really have just been like a two-hour movie probably is it a directed by the same person that did i tanya i think so which is like a, a really good stylized dramatization yeah. comedy of, you know, Tony Harding. And that was done exceptionally well. Like you said, Craig, like, why couldn't this just been a two hour film in the same vein? Fair. Hmm. 
Uh, also uh, on Hulu, I started watching The Dropout. Me too. Which is the story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, the dramatization of that scandal. Uh, the, I watched the most recent one today, which would be episode five as of this recording. And I'll tell you, for me, the first three episodes were a bit of a tough slog to get through. Very generic, very, here's a very driven person uh, who's also socially awkward, like becoming who they're going to become. I wish they could have done that in one episode, not three. But episodes four and five, when they're actually in the business and they're starting to bite off more, they can, more than they can chew and making deals with Walgreens that they can't fulfill, like it's starting to get much more interesting to me yeah. now. Yeah, no, it, it, it's really starting to pick up. Um, Amanda Seyfried plays uh, Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, she's not the best actress in the world. And there's moments in the show where it's like very good scene development and character development and like great acting on display. There's other moments where it just awkward and falls flat. Um, the funny thing is the original, you know who the original uh, casting for this was? To play it was going to be Kate McKinnon, wasn't it? Kate McKinnon from SNL, which I yeah. can't imagine in my head. <laughs> that would have been something wild. Yeah, it would have been something. So it, it, it's good. I, we have both watched um, the HBO documentary around it, which I thought was exceptionally good which is why i'm watching the show now um if you can't get into the first two episodes please watch the theranos documentary on hbo because um it, it kind of uh you know yeah i think i think truth is is stranger than fiction i think it's i think the documentary might end up being better than this um but it's we'll see we'll see how it shakes out uh and then the last thing i started was winning time the rise of the lakers dynasty on hbo uh, there's two episodes of that so far. Love the cast. Love the premise. Uh. A big basketball fan. Um, but let me tell you something. I fucking hate the show. <laughs> um, uh, and it's because of uh, Adam McKay directed the pilot and set the, the, the tone for the direction. Jonah Hill actually directed the second episode. Uh, and he kept that same style going. Oh. And... I just I love the story they're telling. I hate 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 the way they're telling it. There's terrible like on-screen text. There's constant fourth wall breaking where the character just in the middle of a conversation will turn to the camera and say like what they're thinking or Yeah, that's McKay 101 though. There's like zaniness. There's inconsistent visuals like they want it, it looks like it's in the 70s like the way they the film grain that they added to it, but then they also cut to stuff that looks like it was shot with like a handicam from back then. Like, I don't know, like the, the, the quality is like all over the map. I was going to uh, ask, is the show, so the show is in that like grainy, like VHS looking old yes. timey, like the, like the, like the commercials and trailers are. Yes. The entire oh, time. That's everything cool. in that trailer is, is exactly what it looks like in the movie. Or, I was, or I mean, I'm not planning on watching the show one way or the other, but I was, when I've seen the trailers, which I get constantly, I was hoping against hope that that was just like <laughs> just, for, just to entice you. For the trailer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the same thing too. Like when the when they when the 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 Snyder cut of Justice League came out, it was black and white and four by three. Like it's fucking twenty twenty two, man. Like what what are you trying to tell the audience from this stupid fucking format that went away twenty years? I don't ago? see. I don't even mind if they just had the one sort of filter on it where it has that kind of older film grain. That's fine, but it's inconsistent because they do different types of film grain, and sometimes they change aspect ratio with like weird bars. It's so just, you can't even get used to it. You can't get used to it because of the cutting. It's 
it's just horrendously, horrendously edited and directed. Uh, this is like the worst indulgences of Adam McKay's style. And if you've watched The Big Short or any of those things that we've talked about, usually those movies barely succeed despite what he does to them because the story's good, the acting's good. This is like, it's, it's tough. It's tough. The writing is also a little suspect. It feels to me that they're painting in very broad strokes. Like, I don't think they actually did any research on Red Auerbach. I think they said to themselves, what do we think a caricature of Red Auerbach would say in this scene? And they just kind of wrote it. It just doesn't feel real. I don't know. I'm going to keep watching it because, again, I, I do think the cast is great and I love the story they're trying to tell. I just, I'm frustrated whenever I watch it. Yeah. What about you? What about you, AJ? What do you got on on the TV? Uh, no, I've been watching the Ther- the Theranos um, show on Hulu, and that's been it, man. Like I said, was was sick last week, and I've been you know playing catch up ever since. So um, yeah, I got nothing really new on the docket. We've been working our way through the newest uh, season of Servant on Apple TV, and it makes me want to take my fucking head and smash it through the wall. I've never <laughs> seen a show get so lazy and repetitive yeah. after such a strong start as this show and it's like i wonder if you couldn't take the best part to that and make a feature instead as well you probably could have i don't know there's some great aspects of that show and i think you know the, the same thing about servant that was done in the show you're talking about is that uh M. Night Shyamalan basically like art directed and like art directed the idea and directed the first few episodes. So it kind of set the tone. Right. And then it gets handed off and it gets rinsed and reused. Like it, it doesn't really add up to a Shyamalan type. Right. Thing, which is very different than like what we've seen in the Mandalorian where John Favreau is so passionate about the source materials and he wants to bring on people that can really understand what he's trying to do. And no matter who directs a Mandalorian episode, even though there's slight variations, you're all looking at the same kind of right. idea brought to life. So yep. um, Servant has just become a big old shit fest, <laughs> and um, I'm ready to get over this season and then never watch it again. Um, anything coming out new? I know we're in like we're usually in a lull of new releases around award season. Yeah. Anything new coming out that you're gonna watch? Yeah, that's that's a good point. So. If- for those that may not realize, movies are definitely in cycles where January, February, March is dumping season where studios just put out trash that's not going to get remembered in time for next year's Academy Awards and was not in time for this past year's Academy Awards. And it's just not nonsense. Then you get into spring and summer blockbusters. And then you get into the winter time where it's prestige movies coming out right before the Oscars. So we are in dumping season. And in that vein, I bought a ticket to go see Morbius, the new Sony oh, Marvel movie <laughs> with Jared Leto. You want to talk about, we talked about Ryan Reynolds continue getting work. How the <laughs> fuck is Jared Leto still a paid actor in Hollywood? Academy Award winning Jared Leto. Put some respect on his name. Academy Award winning fucking 30 seconds to shithead Jared well, Leto. he plays Morbius. He's one of the Spider-Man's bad guys getting his own movie, like Venom, without Spider-Man in it, mind you. Uh, and it looks absolutely terrible, but I'm going to go see it so that you don't have to. That's the service that I do for, for our listeners. Uh, Bill, you are you know what? You're a real patriot. That's all I have on the docket right now is, is Morbius. Um, yeah. What about that other one with him uh, about WeWork? Is that a show or a movie? 
That is a miniseries on Apple TV. Wait, Jared Leto's playing, uh, what's his name? A WeWork guy. No shit. And Anne Hathaway is, I don't know, I know the other lead. I don't know her role, but. Speaking of like uh, millennial startup things, um, apparently there's a um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt show on like Hulu or Roku or whatever, where he plays the founder of Uber. Oh, it's, yeah, it's on Showtime. It's called Super Pumped. The battle for Uber. Yeah, the key art on that, the way his face looks makes me want to just... Punchable. Punchable punch face. the TV. Uh, I did not watch that one, uh, I, but it has started already. I think there's two episodes, maybe. He's another guy that's like, you know, you had a lot of promise, kid. JG, hot, hot take. JGL's best film... Sorry. His best film is Inception. His best performance, I would give it to Brick. Oh, shit. I forgot Brick. Fucking love Brick. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Brick, Inception, 500 Days of Summer. And then 500 Days of Summer became this typecast of like this like emo kid yeah, who listens to yeah. the Smiths. Then he had a show on Apple TV that he produced, directed, and wrote that just <laughs> fucking tanked. Where he's like a school teacher who plays like Casio keyboards or whatever? Yeah, who yeah has like a couple <laughs> cork synths and then like is deeply depressed because his only like joy in life is coming home and playing, you know, a 22 key keyboard for four hours after work. He also yeah. had that Don John movie with ScarJo that didn't quite quite work. Oh my god! Yeah, the guy addicted to porn. He got yoked for that film too. All right. Um, I feel like this was a very cathartic episode for both of us. I feel like we were on edge. A lot of anger. Even had a chance to go down to JGL rabbit hole. Who would have thought? Yeah, it did. It wasn't in the production notes. So uh, <laughs> no, it was not. Thank you all for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. 